win in style We've done it for a while It's better to aim very high Then our football story will echo with glory Hello and welcome to Echoes of Glory, Season 6, Episode 12. I'm ASD, who are you? I'm Bas. Who are you? I'm Jack. I'm Hannick. And w- intimidatingly in the room <laughs> is not only a, a, a professional, well, a former podcaster from a, a decade ago, but also a professional sports journalist, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mr Chris Slegg is in the room. How are you doing? Oh, good thanks. I've never been described as intimidating, but I'll, I'll take that, I'll take that. I mean, we've been going six and a half years and this is the first time someone who knows what they're talking about. <laughs> I really wouldn't <laughs> say that. <laughs> um, before we start the main show, Chris, I've got in my hand your book, which came out October... Yep. Last year? October this year. October yeah, this year cool. is what yep. I meant. Um, what is it? What's it called? A Love for the Lane. So it's been a, a lifetime ambition of mine to, to write a book about Tottenham, the club I've supported all my life. And I thought I should finally get round to it with it being the last season at White Hart Lane. And what it is is a, a collection of, of some of the most significant games ever to have been played mm. at White Hart Lane. Obviously Spurs leaving after having played there for 117 years. And a lot of the more recent chapters have been... Uh, told to me by former players, so Terry Dyson, who won the, the double in 1961, Alan Mullery, who skipped the team to the UEFA Cup, the second leg at White Hart Lane, he lifted that trophy in 1972. Mickey Hazards also talked to me mm. about the, um, the 1984 UEFA Cup run. Steve Perryman, he scored uh, two goals in the 1972 semi-final, of course, uh, record appearances for Spurs, 854. He tells one of the chapters. And more recently, I've got stories in there told by Gus Poyet, who helped us finally end that long losing streak or that long run without a win against Chelsea in 2002. Darren Anderton talks about Jurgen Klinsmann's home debut in 94 and Harry Redknapp on that incredible game six years ago when we beat the European champions into Milan White Hart Lane. So they all tell their stories of these amazing games at White Hart Lane uh, in the book. I was going to call it Leaving the Lane. Someone pointed out we're actually moving a little bit closer to White Hart Lane. <laughs> yeah. um, so I thought a love for the lane was a better title. And um, it's available on Amazon. Uh, if, you, if you search for a love for the lane on Amazon or, or pop into your, your local bookshop and ask for it, they should be able to get it on order. And, and yeah, as I say, it's a long-time ambition of mine to do it. And finally, I've managed to bring a book together it's, it's, it, I mean I've just got my copy now it looks brilliant it's a perfect Christmas gift I would say well, I hope so I hope and, uh, so. For, for any supporter um, so buy one for yourself and buy one for everyone else who was the, who was the nicest person or the best person do you know it was amazing to, to, to spend time with these people most of them over the phone a couple of them face to face and just the passion you know you, you think nowadays I feel like maybe our, our players are as passionate nowadays and a lot of these guys obviously played 10, 20, even 30, 40 years ago. So there aren't current players in this book. I don't know if it's the same, but someone like Darren Anderton can recall 1994 as clearly as I can as a fan. He can remember the the sequence of games and and what happened. And his feelings struck me as very similar to mine. I was quite surprised by that because I've always wondered, you know, do players really take it in as much? I mean, you occasionally hear, don't you, interviews on TV where they played a cup game and and someone will interview the player and they'll go, yeah, we're delighted with the three points. And you'll think, (laughs) you played in the cup game. You just wonder if they're really taking in. But everyone I spoke to for this book, I mean, their passion for Tottenham, even though many of them have played for other clubs as well, their passion for Tottenham and their passion for White Hart Lane and the atmosphere that we all know can be conjured there uh, on a good day and even on a bad day. You know, the years I've been going there where the crowd have really played a part in lifting the team. Um, So to speak to all of these guys was amazing. To speak to Steve Perryman was incredible. I mean, the way he told his story of that 1972 semi-final I didn't know a lot about that game actually um, and he actually he didn't score many goals obviously because of the position he played in but he got two long range goals that night from outside the box he turned a 1-0 deficit into a into a 2-1 win in the first leg and then yeah. we went out to Milan and, and drew one all in the San Siro with Mullery yeah. scoring there to go through to the final uh, Steve Perryman scored his two goals against Fabio Cudicini who was the dad That's of dad, yeah. Carlo Cudicini yeah. who then played against Inter Milan all those years uh, later in the, in the 2010 uh, Champions League campaign. So uh, you know, the way S- Steve Perryman talks about White Hart Lane, I mean, that, just interviewing him g- gave me shivers down my spine. Really. Mm, um, that's it, so exciting. It was a real privilege to be able to talk to, the, to all of these guys, and I'm Amazing. so grateful that they gave me their time. Oh, definitely. Uh, I'm just going to read from your... Uh, just, just to finish that one, and that's a love for the lane. Find it on Amazon or in your bookshop, buy it for Christmas is, is the message there. Uh, I looked at your LinkedIn, so it says reporting on all things sport from every corner of the capital, often found outside windswept football stadiums, at a rainy Wimbledon, or sometimes in the comfort of the BBC London or BBC Sports Centre chair. 
privilege to tell stories of our clubs from grassroots to elite level and to meet our Olympians, Paralympians and athletes throughout the world of sport. That's quite a range. I forgot that's I had a LinkedIn profile, so <laughs> I actually looked at it. I it's a while it. since I wrote that. <laughs> yeah. But that's an incredible... How did you get into it? I mean, it's the dream of, of all of us in the room to be a sports journalist. How did that happen? I went to um, Sheffield University and did a degree in print journalism. At the time, mm. this is going back. Yeah. There were two options you could do print journalism or broadcast journalism the, the option I chose was print journalism my yeah. ambition really was to to write for newspapers and uh, during my degree at Sheffield I got lucky in that uh, the press association who were based in Leeds needed people to write uh, for teletext they they did the teletext service yeah. so if you, I don't know you guys are probably too young no, 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 to I even remember that, that. Um, which went out on ITV, and I, I would spend my weekends working for them writing four-par match reports, which is a great discipline to have to get, you know, especially if you've got a 6-4 game or something. Imagine yeah. it was Tottenham Reading from <laughs> a few years back, 6-4. You've got to get it into four pars. You've got to get a headline that fits perfectly by character. Um, and then luckily when I left university, a, a, a job at CFAX, so the BBC rivals uh, to uh, Teletext came up and um, I, I got the job. And ever since then, I've done various different things at the BBC. But I got very, very lucky with that, that job coming up at a time when I was able to go into that interview and basically say, well, I'm doing this job already at, at Teletext. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that was a real, real lucky break in my life and uh, I'm really pleased that, that happened because I have I, I love my job I love what I do it is great fun it, it's great that I work in sport you know I work in sport for a news program and a lot of my colleagues are dealing with heavy news stories mm. every day and obviously we do have those I've covered uh, tough stories in, in the world of sport the, the John Terry um, racism case if we can call it that um, was, was a tough one the, 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 um, the Harry Redknapp tax, uh, tax case when he was found not guilty um, we do have tricky stories to cover, but 99% of the time I'm, I'm covering the good side of sports, um, which is which is fun, let's face it. We all love it. Are there times when you're in, you're out in Barnet and you're, it's cold or, and you're going, I'd rather just be sat in an office, or are they the best days? I, I, I love the unpredictability of my job. I love yeah. the unpredictability of journalism. You can, obviously we, we have a planning diary, we can plan a week ahead and then something will break on the day I mean last week I was supposed to be outside Wembley to preview our game against Bayer Leverkusen obviously I'd have been previewing it in a very impartial way I can't yeah. be biased towards any club and I never would be uh, and then that day the story broke about West Ham's stadium the the, the news that the Mayor of London Sadiq Khan had ordered an investigation because it's now gone another £50 million over budget so I had to tear up all my plans for that day and go and report on a very different story so um, I love that side of things and I, I love also covering football uh, I don't just cover football but football at all levels working mm. for BBC London TV um, means we do cover the likes of Barnet like you say yeah. um, and there are great stories to tell at those clubs and, and the way that these clubs do work with their communities as well um, so I, I've never been I, I love going to Tottenham but I, I'm someone who can quite easily enjoy going to a non-league game at, at any level there's always something there yeah. the FA Cup first round this weekend all the oh, great it. stories yeah. I, I love all of that um, but obviously a special place in my heart for the, for the club I've well, always followed well let's talk about this why, why are you Spurs? Uh, through my mum my, uh, my granddad uh, kind of seemed to support as far as I can work out um, Arsenal and Tottenham he's no longer with us he would kind of look out for both their yeah. results his two sons uh, supported Arsenal my mum and her sister supported Tottenham yeah. uh, so I went down that route I'm not from Tottenham uh, I grew up in a place called Ta a tiny little village called Tandridge near Oxted it's to the south of the M25 hmm. there's not really a local club there the nearest club probably half an hour away is Crystal Palace but a lot of people where I grew up you're, you're kind of in a, in a wilderness of not having a, a close football league club and I think maybe there's an element of, of me that is, is lucky that Tottenham were a big news club in the in the eighties, the late eighties, early nineties. Most people at my school supported Liverpool. You know, I'm yeah. nowhere near Liverpool, yeah. but they were a huge club. Uh, but let's face it, Tottenham were also a big club. So I had my mum looking out for their results, but also it was a, it was a club that was on TV a lot, um, as much as football games were on telly back then. So an easier club to follow. Um, I just the great players, really. I mean, just there's always a good player there. Tottenham haven't won obviously as much when it comes to league titles as the likes of Liverpool, Manchester United, dare we even mention yeah. their name Arsenal. Mm. But we're always up there and we're all to me it's more about it's it's not so much about winning trophies. It's it's about 
the unpredictability and the, and the showmanship and, the, and having those great players there. And those, I love the, I love this stat I saw in the paper today about um, you know Tottenham Arsenal is now the highest scoring fixture in the Premier yeah. Premier League history. Uh, and if you look at the top five, Arsenal, Tottenham's top, Liverpool, Tottenham's second, Newcastle, Tottenham's third. <laughs> Chelsea Tottenham's joint fifth, so Tottenham <laughs> featuring that quite a lot. Yeah. Now I'm sure a lot of those goals were against us, but yeah. I love these crazy games that we seem to get ourselves involved in season after season. Although it's becoming less the case now, let's face it, under Pochettino, because this is the most solid team I've ever seen in my life. Um, so that you know, the, there's many elements really why Tottenham became my team, um, and I'm so grateful that they did really, because although there's been many many rubbish seasons, it's it's overall it's been an amazing. Uh, Long time supporting yeah. the club. Okay, your favourite um, player ever that you've seen live, and your favourite goal that you've seen live. My, my favourite player and goal both come uh, both involve the same person, Jurgen Klinsmann. And yeah. I, I think you know he was there for such. When you compare him to most legends, he was there for such a short time. Really, only one season. I know he came back for that half season. Uh, a few years later but the 94-95 season was kind of my season I, I loved 91 winning the, winning the cup but I wasn't going to so many games then 94-95 I went to every home game a lot of the away games and that season we started with minus 12 points and it was do- then it was changed to minus 6 points we'd only stayed up by 3 points a year before yeah. so sitting on a beach on a family holiday and my brother came up to me with a newspaper saying we've signed Jurgen Klinsmann who had just got, scored five goals yeah. at the World Cup. And this wasn't speculation, this wasn't gossip. We've signed yeah. Jurgen Klinsmann, even though we're starting on minus six points. He didn't even compute. Yeah. I was so excited, and then he scores, obviously, the winner on his, on his debut away to Sheffield Wednesday. We win 4-3. Ardili is our manager, also a World Cup winner, also a club legend, is playing five players up front, <laughs> yeah. Dimitrescu, Sheringham, Klinsmann, Barbie Anderson. The home debut a few days later, we're all so excited to see Klinsmann, and 20 minutes in, he scores an overhead kick. Um, and just, I was sat in the East Stand. I, I don't know why, really, because I very rarely was in the East Stand, but I remember being in the upper tier of the East Stand. I think the capacity, uh, might have been the capacity was lower that year, a bit like this year, in that they were redoing the yeah. South Stand, so a lot of people had to be moved. That's probably why I ended up sitting in the East Stand. But what struck me about that goal, two things. One was, it was nil-nil after 20 minutes, and we had five forwards but it was Stuart Nevercott, our centre-back, yeah. who put the header in yeah. to, to, to Klinsman to hit the overhead kick. The cross came from Anderson, Sheringham headed it back. And Nevercott's up there as well, yeah. for some reason. We're not chasing the game or anything. <laughs> uh, and the other thing that struck me was, you just knew what Klinsman was about to do. It was kind of like a premonition. Uh, and Darren Anderson says that in, in, in A Love for the Lane. He says it was kind of, it's like it happened in slow motion. You knew it had to happen. And yeah. You knew with him he wasn't going to miss. And just this most incredible acrobatic overhead kick goal, and then the celebration when every single player uh, dived, uh, did the Jurgen Klinsmann dive, even Ian Walker, our goalkeeper, running out of the pitch yeah. right down the right down the pitch into the other half, and it just just the whole team spirit of that. Um, so that is my my favourite player, um, Jurgen Klinsmann, and that's my favourite goal. Fantastic. Uh, just before we get in, I hand over to Jack to carry on. Uh, Hannick. It's yes. your hat trick ball, so congratulations. Thank you. Uh, but when we were walking back to King's Cross, you told me a mental story, which I can't believe you didn't tell on, on air. Uh, you've been to probably a more important football game than at least any of us. I don't know about you, Chris, but uh, what game did you go to in 2010? Well, I think you, so I went to two really big games. Oh, in right. Showing off. Yeah, so I went to the semi finals of the World Cup and I went to the final. Okay, so which semi finals did <laughs> so you go to? to? Speak into the mic. So I went to the semi final in Durban. So that was Spain, Germany, and then I went to the final in Johannesburg, and that was obviously Spain, Netherlands. And what, I mean, where, where, did, what was it like? Just because there's most people listening to this will never get an opportunity. So what, what was it like to go to a World Cup final? It was very loud, like because obviously 2010 you had those vuvuzelas, mm. and on TV it doesn't do it justice on how loud these things are. Yeah, and the constant noise. It was, it was great because obviously South Africa's a very has a lot of Dutch heritage, so all the orange is out. Low, when you're going to the to the matches, everyone's you, you'd see people in their full-on orange kits, like wearing airline costumes as mm. well. The Spanish people were having absolute ball there, singing, dancing. It it was great. Great, and you managed to get a picture with some. I mean, from some famous people, some world famous people. Who were who were they? Well, I've got a picture with the king and queen of Spain, but they don't know they're in the picture. <laughs> <laughs> So I was sitting at a table at a restaurant, and we're, we're sitting there, and we notice the king and queen are in the background, 
So me and my uncle just like slightly move apart, <laughs> and then in the background, like at their table, got a photo with them. Amazing, unbelievable. Go on, then, Jack. Right, Leverkusen. Painful Leverkusen. <sighs> I thought that was the worst game we played in a long time. Well, who, so I don't want to dwell. No, we'll, we'll, we'll whiz through it. But I mean, I was there. It was first of all, I thought Wembley was amazing. I thought getting there, getting in the ground before the game had kicked off, when the players were coming out, I thought this is unbelievable. This atmosphere is incredible. Great we've got a, yeah, we've got a whole season here in the Premier League. That's going to be brilliant. I, I mean, I don't know what you thought, Abbas. But. Well, I was I was in uh, in Club Wembley, so maybe not as vocal as uh, as maybe where you were sitting, mm. where say the true fans were. Um, but yeah, no, it's a lot of noise. It was um, it was just a poor performance. It just they, you know, everything was set up for it to be one of those glorious nights, and it just didn't happen. It was frustrating. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from Leverkusen because I, I do think they're a good side. We were really poor, and it reminded me of a performance when we first got Poch. It reminded me of the Stoke loss. Do you remember when we lost two one and Chadley scored? That unbelievable volley. It, in, yeah. it really reminded me of that game where you just don't you don't get going. You can't keep the ball. It was one of them games. Leverkusen it, were good and they got their chance and they punished us. It was just the simple inability to do things like a five-yard pass. Right. Mm. There was just, I mean, there was just there was no creativity going forward. We were just like stop, start. There was just nothing going on in that game whatsoever for us. We hit the we hit the bar, but in in all fairness, we shouldn't have even hit the bar. Mm. Like we were that poor. And if we'd nicked the goal and drew, it would have been a travesty. Mm. Wow. But I'd have loved it if we'd drawn. Oh, yeah, to be too. honest, but you know, um, I think the real, the only positive you can have is two games left, two wins, we're through. We're not through with two wins. We I'm are. not sure we, we are. are because we're CSKA have got to play Monaco. No, they haven't. They've played them twice because it's the back-to-back games. Because where we've played Leverkusen twice, they've played each other twice. We're through with two wins. If we win both games, we get through. What do we do about Sissoko? Um, I mean, I couldn't believe. That he stayed on for 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 that whole match. I mean, I I really didn't enjoy Wembley. I have to say, I didn't, <laughs> Did you enjoy, not? I didn't enjoy the Wembley experience at all. Um, I and I obviously didn't uh, enjoy the performance. And I I wonder really if um, I think Pochettino is clearly prioritising the the Premier League. I mean, the fact that Sissoko stayed on for that match mm. because he couldn't play at all anyway at the weekend. It wasn't like he was wasting any energy. The fact that he didn't play Rose. I think maybe he... Is that the right decision to prioritise the league over the Champions League? Um, it probably is. It probably certainly is from a... What he wants to do, I imagine, is... is and I don't, I don't like the way football has become like this, but he just wants to be in the Champions League again next year. Yes. Mm-hmm. And obviously when you're building a new stadium, that's very important. He's probably been told to prioritise the Champions League. I don't think he probably doesn't think we can win it. Um, and he's thinking well we need to finish top four again mm. Arsenal for him clearly it looks like was the biggest match last week I mean the, the, the difference in performance <laughs> says all of that whether that message filtered through to the team as well which I think is a shame I, but, th- but that's the way football's gone I, I, mm. I'd, I'd love us to try and win every single competition even the EFL Cup as it is now I'd love to see us try and win that but in reality that's not going to happen mm. um, managers are going to have to prioritise they can't just think about mm. one game um, and, and, and I, you know, it was just the difference in those two performances last week. It's, it's almost hard to, to fathom how mm. a team can play uh, so differently. But I didn't enjoy the Wembley experience either because I, it just felt so flat, so soulless, cold, almost sterile in that in that stadium. I, I don't know if it's almost... You've got so many home fans that you feel like... Um, I don't think the acoustics are great in there anyway. I don't think it's no. just a Spurs issue. I've been yeah. to a lot of games at Wembley where the atmosphere just doesn't seem to work. Mm. Um, but also when you, you've you got almost 90,000 fans, and I don't know how many away fans there were, four or 5,000, but it looks even less than that because they're kind of lost. Mm-hmm. You don't get this kind of sparring between home and away fans. The home fans are almost complacent in a way. You're almost complacent. You think, well, we don't have to make that much noise and I, I, I compared it to the Inter Milan game you know six years ago when White Hart Lane was just a buzz for 90 minutes and yeah I just I just really did not enjoy that Wembley experience um, I do think we can still do it and I, like you say two, two mm. wins is definitely enough to put us through uh, I can see us going to Monaco and winning I can certainly see us beating CSKA um, so fingers crossed at the start as well 
in your final two group games in the Champions League, you've got to win them both to get through. I think we probably would have taken that. And we're quite lucky, really, because we've had two really bad home losses to still yeah, be in a position to still have a chance through, where yeah. we're not reliant on other results going Definitely. going our way, which I thought we were at first. But having looked at it, yeah, it's certainly the case. If, if we win both, we're definitely through. Um, and the the alternative of ending up in the Europa League, possibly at Wembley. Although I don't think the club have confirmed if they they might go back to the lane if if we if that was to happen. Mm. I don't think there's been a definite decision by the club yet. Um, I'd I'd hate to have to watch Europa League football at Wembley. Oh, God, that'd be so bad, <laughs> isn't it? Just just a positive. Mm. With Sur- surprise from you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Harry Winks. Winks, I, I thought um, when he job. came on, he was very good. Very composed. Yeah, he did it against Arsenal, didn't he? Just he just does a yeah. job. Yeah, a good game against Liverpool as well in the cup. Yeah, when played him. energy, tucks his shirt in. Always appreciate Black that. Black boots. Black boots. He's Scott, ahead of Tom Carroll as well, isn't he? All day long. Let's I wouldn't play him again. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. move on from Leverkusen. Um, so Arsenal derby day. So what's different about the derby day? Like, does your daily routine change? Do you enjoy the game more or less? Because I mean, I watched it. I watched it with my dad, and he said. He hates the Arsenal game. He doesn't enjoy it at all, regardless of the score. Even if you're 3-0 up with 10 minutes to go, he doesn't enjoy it because he knows that they can Something, come back yeah. and does not enjoy the game whatsoever. So, I mean, Hannick, what do you think? Is, is it a different day for you when we play Arsenal? It's a very different day. No matter what happens, I have to clear my whole schedule for yeah. the game. Even though I said that I actually left halfway, at the halfway point, just too stressed out to watch. <laughs> but, no, it's definitely a very different day I'm making sure that, yeah, I make sure the day is clear. I always have my cup of tea at 9am for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Settle the nerves. Yeah. I just, I hate it. I hate it because I hate all, the worst thing about Twitter is get, is connecting to Spurs fans because there's so many idiots out there. You get really negative ones, you get overly positive ones, you get the ones going, guys, calm down, you know. And you've got the guys who are just overly expectant. I'm looking at you here quite a lot. <laughs> Um, uh, I just I, I try to ignore it until the moment of like you um, you've got in your in a love for the lane available at all good bookshops is uh, uh, I've never done this I'm quite enjoying it the last chapter is on the five three Chelsea which if I remember correctly was generally the first yeah what a game and I went to Cambridge for the day I just tried to forget because I thought it was a twelve o'clock kickoff so I forgot it came home the moment it started so I thought I might as well watch it and it was amazing best day ever but just. I hate it. I hate the. I hate the moaning about the team. I hate them. I hate their fans. I hate Walcott. I just hate all of it. The nerves start. You wake up. I don't know. You. I wake up on Derby and I think, oh my god! In about four hours, we're playing Arsenal. Like it's actually, it's actually happening. There's no other game. I don't even think cup finals. I'm as nervous as when we play them. It's, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. For me, it's without a doubt the most biggest single game or two single games of the season um, anticipation for me probably begins as soon as well in, in this case as soon as Leverkusen's finished I immediately focused straight mm. on Arsenal um, and everything is just like revolving itself around team news seeing who's playing who's not playing wh- what the other side are doing having a little gander on Twitter um, uh, this year's a bit different because I actually went to it um, we'll probably touch on that a bit we'll later but for me, it's do I enjoy the game more or less? Probably more. Not during the game. Apart not from during, when we score, because you we enjoy, score. enjoy the goals. Yeah, more. but I mean, it's just a bag of nerves. Yeah. I'm, I've always been that person where, if I'm not if I'm not going to it, and it's a derby day, I need to be at home. I need to be by myself. I can't have anyone around me, because they will be swearing. There will be <laughs> things going off, and I'll be a, I'll be a, I'll be a, a, you know a wreck. What was your what was your derby day this week? I, I'm, I'm similar to your dad in that I do not enjoy it at all. Mm. I, I was terrified this week. I really was. I, 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 I predicted one all when I was asked for my prediction, but only because I wanted to be as optimistic as I yeah. could be. I, I find uh, the Arsenal game and the Chelsea game, I, uh, because I've seen us lose so many times and sometimes heavily, I'm always convinced it's going to be a terrible mm. day. So anything like yesterday is just a huge bonus. I mean... I, I just don't enjoy it until the final whistle has gone and usually uh, I don't enjoy it until the final whistle has gone and we haven't lost that's good enough yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. if you get something like that 5-3 that you mentioned uh, that's a bonus um, and, and, and this weekend I was, I was just so impressed with the 
with the performance. You know, I was I was I was delighted that it wasn't. I thought it, my prediction would have won all. As I say, I was trying to be I was trying to be optimistic, but I also thought it's gonna if if we get that, it probably won't be a deserved draw. Mm. But it really was a deserved draw. It was great um, that we we weren't overawed, we weren't behind, got back into it, and Arsenal have been flying. They've been superb and, and the fact that we came away we came away from that game of renewed optimism which we were desperate to have going into the international break because if we'd made it seven games without a win and been heavily defeated or even just narrowly defeated at the Emirates then it would have been so depressing mm. going into this this break but yeah I'm, I'm the same in that I can't I'm so nervous in the build up to, to, to the Arsenal game probably more so than, than the Chelsea game and I, I just want to get it out of the way and hope yeah. that we haven't lost. Really. Yeah. Have you yeah. covered? Have you covered the Spurs Arsenal game? I, I've never. I, I wouldn't. Uh, so when I do, um, I previewed matches. I wouldn't uh, commentate or report on a on, on a Tottenham match. That would be horrendous. Yeah, I don't think there would be. There, there's no hard and fast rule. I wouldn't want to do it. Actually, yeah. I, I haven't had to do it. I've, I've I've covered I've covered Tottenham games, kind of previewing the. The, the Champions League matches and then doing match reports afterwards so that's obviously against European opponents um, actually I, I tell a lie I have done Tottenham Arsenal in, in, in the League Cup but I didn't have to, I'm, not, I'm not on air throughout the game Yeah, I, I don't think I could do that with Tottenham that would be really I couldn't tough. commentate or report I'd find it really hard to remain impartial in the yeah. Tottenham game yeah. as a commentator I've never had to do that um, but I certainly have no problem with it before or after mm. the game um, and yeah the, the Arsenal game still gets me in a way that it always has throughout Throughout my life, and that yeah, just the build up to it is immense. And you just, I'm always convinced the very worst is going to happen. Yeah, and when it doesn't, I'm, I'm so grateful that <laughs> we've got away with something. Well, let's talk about the game. So, my first question was it or wasn't it offside? I'm offside all, all day long. What were we saying in the room? Um, well, I've already seen it once, I've not actually seen it. Well, you were there. But do you think it was offside when it... Or first of all, for some context, so you were in the Arsenal end. I was in the Arsenal Were you wearing your Arsenal shirt or were you... <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, just, yeah, so um, I, got, I got a call at 5 to 11 from my friend who's uh, unfortunately an Arsenal season ticket holder. And he said, I've got a spare, so you uh, want to turn up? I was like, yeah, why not? Um, so, sat there and... Um, was that your first experience in the Emirates? Yeah, What's never again. Like never again. So, so just um, as we're coming out of Arsenal, Arsenal Station, um, other exit, we heard a few, you know, yeah, the army. Yeah. And then one of the Arsenal fans said, F off, you Yiddish C-word, um, which was lovely, which set the tone for the rest of the day. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, so, um, so I just thought, and then as we were coming out of the station, um, we were running a bit late and a few of the fans ahead of us were like, Oh, we might miss a couple of goals there. We might be two up by four minutes, um, and it's just like sort your life out. Which it's station just, to go? Finsbury Park. Uh, no, we went, we went to Arsenal. Went to Arsenal. Yeah. Um, so when that goal went in, what uh, did you think? You thought offside. You thought, what's he doing? To be fair, to be fair, from where from where we're sitting, because it's on the opposite end, um, we we I didn't know it was Wimmer who got ahead on until until the replay. But when the ball came in, it did look... I can't remember who was behind him. Was it Sanchez? And Koscielny. looked like they were in an offside position. Um, but that's just from one take. I have not, I've not seen any replays. So you've got Sanchez and Mustafi are both offside. Koscielny's not because he's level. And uh, I don't know if you saw Howard Webb on, on, on BC. Yeah. He's also written in the Times today. As the law, as the law stands, technically uh, the assistant referee cannot give offside for that. Um, because neither of the players in the offside position um, are trying to, to play the ball. But that law makes no sense. I mean, even how Webb says it needs to be rewritten because clearly uh, Vim has gone to play that ball, but he doesn't know what's going to happen next. Yeah. I think the offside law has just become a complete and utter mess. I think it did need to be changed. You know, when I was a kid, if you were in it, you could be out on the wing and be offside, and a, a great goal could be could be disallowed because of that but it's now become so confusing we're asking assistant referees and referees to make a decision in a split second they've got so much to take into account but they they've they've got the law right but it's ridiculous yeah. to think that that those two guys weren't interfering with play because Vimmer yeah. has to act because he has to act because yeah. he doesn't know what's going to happen next and if he ducks out of the header or whatever so it doesn't make sense to me but mm-hmm. you can't say the assistant referee's got the, got it wrong because technically well, they got it game, right yeah. but the, the law doesn't make sense as it stands right now it needs it needs to be changed yeah. tweaked again there was an old manager who said if in a similar situation if they're not interfering with play what they're doing on the pitch Brian, you know well, Brian Clough Brian yeah. Clough there you go and I think we've seen a lot of goals recently where you know goalkeepers 
they don't quite know what to do because mm. they don't know who's going to touch it if they're going to touch it. I think it's become too if favor as it, as offside. You know, it, they tried to make offside a favor the attacking team more, and that's probably correct. But it's it's now favors them far too much. There's there's so many times when a defender and a goalkeeper can be caught mm. out because they don't know what's going to happen next, and that's what happened at the weekend. I think that's really harsh uh, for that for that goal mm. to, to count against us. But technically, the way the law's written, that there wasn't much the assistant referees could do. Yeah. Stato emailed in about this earlier, being a qualified referee, and he said, I'll read the offside. In law, it was a good goal. Sadly, the law isn't arse. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Yeah, Brilliant. Um, agree. For me, <laughs> Vimmer has to head the ball as he cannot be sure whether the guys behind him are on or off, but surely they will play the ball if it gets to them. Koscielny was onside and he was the main player Vimmer was affected by. Unfortunate, but we can't bleat about it. Well, that's the thing. Isn't it? I mean, I think that's spot on. If Vimmer, if Vimmer leaves, leaves it and they play and they head it, are we offside? Yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah, just a <laughs> but like, what I'd love to know about is if he left it and then Koscielny and Sanchez left it and it went in, then what would be given? It would be still a goal, wouldn't it? It's generally it's impossible. But if you're a centre back and the ball's coming in the box, you put your head, you put your head on it. You yeah. put your head on it and you deal with it after you moan after. Yeah, it was unlucky. It was unlucky. But on Vimmer, I thought he could have crumbled in the second half because he had the early booking. He had the own goal, and at half time, I put on our WhatsApp group. I said he's looking shaky. Yeah. Second half, you Solid. didn't notice him. No. Didn't, and that's the biggest compliment you can pay to a centre half where he had an unnoticeable game. I thought he was really, really good in that second half. He could have completely fallen apart and cost us a game. It's also got one of them. I totally agree, and I'm going to take it down a level. He's got one of them unfortunate faces where he looks like he's fat all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> wouldn't say that to him, though, would you? <laughs> I'd take him. Big boy. Um, yeah. So we played 3 5 2. Yeah, I, so this isn't that different from what we do normally because you always have Dyer dropping back in or Wanyama dropping back in. So I don't think it's that different. The two up front is the different bit. The three five, I don't think it's that different. Because of, they announced the team sheets and they were saying we're going to play three at the back and I'm sat there thinking, I don't think we are. I think we're well, just going to be yeah. a bit more defensive and yeah, it's just yeah. going to have a wall. Well, well for Everton, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the day before, changing so, their formation. I was thinking, <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but we started and we played it and... It actually looked like it really suited us. Like Walker had the license to get forward. Um, what, what did you think of that? Well, from what I saw from the game, it, and I agree with the what's our match of the day, it did. Like, I think the space on the right hand side with Die was just completely exploited every single time, and it was it was good to see a change though. For once, mm. I have to say that though we've done it before. It's nice to see a change of formation after the last six games. Of Why? Why we is haven't it nice? won. We have not won a game for oh, how we long? All last season with a check with the same formation. Yeah, but we haven't won a game, and we've been playing the same formation. It seemed a very bland thing. So to try something new is just you know, it seems yeah. there's some creativity. I'm not sure I agree with that, but I think the biggest thing for me was so for people that are fans of us on Facebook, I'll put an average position heat map. And you can see really clearly the positions. Like it's in the midfield three of Wanyama, Dyer, oh sorry, Wanyama, Dembele, and Eriksson are so close together. And I mean, Ozil didn't really have a kick. Sanchez, I thought Sanchez was playing. I mean, the chances that Ozil created were dead ball, was dead ball, and you yeah. can't stop him doing that. Like, no. there's nothing you can do with that. But in open play, he was really quiet, and it's because he had three men around him all the time throughout the whole game. The two up front, I thought, worked really well. I mean, expecting Kane to have just come in and led the line on his own would have, been, would have been ridiculous. Um, but them two actually looked like they could form a bit of a partnership up there because it was almost like an old school big man, little man. You're talking Ericsson and Kane? No, no, I'm talking Kane and Son. Kane holding it up, Son getting in behind. Son got in was it after about two minutes. When he got in, yeah. I just thought, he, we're going to score, we're going to really score. There's a couple of runs he went on, which so were really Two things good. on Son. One, should he have pulled out against Czech? No. Should have gone in. Why, why I, would, would you... I would have liked to have seen him just take absolutely everything yeah. in his way. Go, go in. straight just, through him. If, just, you, it, if that had been Lamella... Or Rose. Like, think how tenacious Lamella is in the way he presses the ball. Mm. You think he'd have nicked that. But what's the worst that would have happened? What, he would have got straight, yellow? Straight red. Straight no, red. but he, he, would have, obviously he wouldn't have gone in two-footed, would he? But then I... I don't, I don't think it's him bottling it. When I first saw it, I thought, he's bottled that. That's shocking. When you watch it back, he actually reads it as in, Czech's there first, he's going to make that movement, I'm going to tackle him. And Czech doesn't really do anything. And then it, it's sort of in the wrong position. Did, did Czech slip twice? 
Was it was it two yeah, steps? Yeah, once or twice, something like that. Yeah, right. plenty of time. The other plenty point, of time. I would have I would have had him gone through it. Chadley or Son? Son. I mean, in the way we played in that game with two up front, I think Son just because the pace and the directness. So I think Chadley, as much as I liked him, did tend to take quite a few touches. Sometimes slow the game down a little bit. Whereas I think Son in that game, it's more direct, isn't he? Yeah, and Son's a clever player as well. Like he gets into areas. He's both feet. Okay. It was good. I, I honestly, I'd, I'd love the, the three-five-two. Um, actually, we had a, a question come in uh, on the Facebook page uh, from John Dawkes, which was, "What do you guys think about continuing to play three at the back in a three-four-three formation with Toby replacing Vimmer? Seem to open up more wing play and better chances created. I mean, the fault of Jan, Toby, Dyer, and it solves the it solves the issue of what we do with Dyer as well when Toby is back, so we can accommodate both of them." The last time we played three at the back was Harry Redknapp. No, I know what you're going to say. I know what away you're say. at Stevenage, if I remember correctly. Now, I think it was Kabul, Nelson, Nelson and Gallas. <laughs> we drew nil-nil away. Get the replay. Yeah, just good, good, get, draw. good draw. Good draw. Good point good away. Well, I think what it gives us is just another option. As opposed to, I don't think this is going to be the fixed system we're going to play now. But it's just good to have another option in games. But it's like so. When we go to Chelsea on the 26th, I, I don't see why this can't work. I, I agree. Well, what do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, you're talking about the Stevenage game there, and I think Poch was keen to, to point out he actually played three at the back against Watford just after last Christmas. Um, I, agree, I agree with your point. I don't think this isn't going to be for, for good. You know, I think... He, he kind of had to do this maybe this weekend. I thought Jermaine Genius, who did a Facebook Live at halftime yesterday and has also written a piece today um, saying it's great that we proved we now have like a plan B. that we can. Sw- he, he says we can go to that any time in the game mm-hmm. if we need to. Um, it's great that we proved we can do it in, let's face it, the biggest game of the season. Mm. Away to Arsenal, who are flying. I mean, yeah. li- you know, just, just winning nearly every game. Okay, they've had a couple of blips drawing it home to Middlesbrough and losing on the first day but other than that they looked so dangerous mm. and and we came off the back of a terrible performance changed the system and did it well yeah. and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted that, that um, Pochettino was brave enough to do that um, I think it bodes well for the future I think it, it, as Gina says it's something we can do in a game if we have to do it um, he doesn't expect that to be something we're going to be doing many times and I, I think that's probably probably the case but yeah it is exciting it's got everyone talking it's good to see it's good mm. to have a, a manager who can prove his adaptability and players who can prove their adaptability because mm. yeah. uh, you know not many Tottenham teams in the past have been able to do to do something like that and you know it's still a fairly young team the fact that they have the confidence their manager has the, the confidence in them to do it I, I, it's just it's kind of added to the how we feel about this result great result and also great to see the team be able to to do that mm. Poch is the first Spurs man, first Spurs manager, sorry, to be unbeaten in his first five top-flight games against Arsenal. What's he doing different in these games? Like, is it that he's being braver? Is it that we're more adaptable? Because he, he's, he's clearly doing something. Because we're now a team that Arsenal appear to struggle to play against. Whereas, if you look back, I think I've always thought they found it quite easy against the difference us. Difference is, I think, sorry, mate, is. How many times have we lost four, five, six nil under Poch? I don't think we've done it at all. So I think it's it's more he's just settled us, made us more consistent. I don't think it's a single game thing. I think he's just not he's just stopped the rot. You know, I think under Harry we'd win one then lose one spectacularly either way. Whereas Poch is just it's just solidifying saying it's not even like A V B where A V B was just going, We will not lose. He's going, Right, we're just gonna be strong going forward we're going to be strong we're going to not make too many mistakes it's, it's also the core of the team the core of the team is a lot stronger than it was 3-4 years ago under AVB when we had Paulinho in midfield um, uh, hmm. you know we're a lot stronger now defensively and in midfield we've got the likes of Wanyama and Dembele who are able to drop back and provide assistance when needed um, so it's, it's as Leslie was saying we've we've become a better team because of mm-hmm. like just being more solid really just we've had we've had a chance to basically like consolidate and we've got players now who we, we kind of know are starting 11 whereas before we had a bit of this and that where we weren't good but now we've, we know a solid starting 11 
and posh, posh works to those plans. I want to talk about Ericsson as well, because um, we've had a question coming from Andrew Miller on the Facebook page. Um, does anyone on the pod think Ericsson is a bit lightweight and needs to start doing a bit more defensive work? Granted, he's a luxury player, but he bottles tackles that are in his favour, makes it look like he's making an effort to tackle an opponent when he has no intention of risking getting hurt and gets pushed off the ball too easily. Great player with the ball when he's on top form, but in my opinion, we could sell him for £30 million and get a player with better delivery who works harder. Hannah, I'm looking at you for Scathing. this. For this. Yeah. Scathing, what, what do you think? I'm trying to think of what play we'll get that's better than him that's going to fit into the system and work harder. Uh, you know, if we look at teams, you know, what do we what do we get Ericsson for? Less than 15? 11, 11, 12 yeah. million. 11 Minimal. million. Right, so around the same ballpark, we're not going to get a better player. If we double it, are we going to get someone close mm-hmm. to his level? So who are you going to put in? Who's going to be working harder? So, yeah, of course, if you can improve a player... And get him on the wall. Of course, you take him on, but who are you talking about? I think, I think he gets a lot of stick, Ericsson. I mean, I, I agree. I think he's been poor the last three or four games. Oh, a bit more than that. I'd go I a bit. I'd go a bit more than that. But I think there's a couple of factors behind it. I think he's playing slightly. He's been been playing in a slightly different position this season than what he has been last season. He's played a lot of his games off the left last year, whereas now he's playing in the middle of a free centre of the park. It's a lot different. In terms of his work rate... But, sorry, just isn't that his preferred p- position? Maybe, but I mean, if you if you don't play there for a season and then you're coming into centre midfield... I don't know, I don't um, know. It's been, it's been... Well, OK, fair enough, but it's been about 15 games in. But that's, that's a fair point. I mean, on the work rate, I saw a stat that... This was before the Leverkusen game, that he'd ran... More than, any more than anyone in the Champions League. He's always so up there in the Premier League. I don't think it's, I don't think it's his work rate. I just think he's... He's been a bit off of his game. I still think he's a key player for us. Um, and I thought against Arsenal, he was very good. He was, he was good yesterday. I thought he was good yesterday. This is a 23, 24-year-old man who we're expecting to be David Silva or Mezzo Ozil. Ozil is, dare I say it, world-class. And we're expecting him to be all this. I, I disagree on the point with better delivery. Forgetting corners, because I suppose we, we can't take corners. There's something in the grass. He's, his dead ball delivery is... Is up there with the best in the Premier League. There's two things I want to just mention here. So number one, we're not really. I, I wouldn't compare him to like Ozil or Silva, but more to like Coutinho. I'd put, Again, like one of the best in the world right now. Yeah, right place. now. But what? Why has Ericsson not kicked on from where he was? So they were signed at relatively the same time, cost relatively the same amount of money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just, you know, this is where the frustration comes from. It doesn't come from the fact that he can't take a corner or a free kick or he pulls out of tackles. It's that Coutinho is doing it on a week-by-week basis where he's assisting, he's scoring, and he's the hub of that team. But for Spurs at the moment, Ericsson is not. I mean, Coutinho, I mean, Chris jump in any time. Coutinho was in the Inter Milan team, I believe, in 2010. He's just been at the the high... He's he's always been up there with the greatest, greatest teams, the greatest players... And it's it's not that's not a light for light comparison. I feel we're expecting so much of Ericsson. We there's a lot of that's underappreciated. I do agree with the point on the tackling. I just he does pull out of tackles some fifty fifties. He was putting himself about a little bit yesterday. I did, I did see him win a header. I was say that. <laughs> I did see him win a header. So that will go into the. We've got a, a podcast um, things that we've seen that we can't quite believe. There's I saw Defoe pass. <laughs> <laughs> I saw. What did we see? Um, Paul Robinson score. Paul Robinson score. We saw Brad Friedel take a throw in against Villa because there, we, there was so much pressure at the other so end. Saw Vedran Chorluka overlapped once. <laughs> well. that, was a, that was a good one. What is your opinion, Ericsson? Your professional opinion? Well, I, I think it's you, you can't put him in the same bracket as those players that you're mentioning who, who are delivering week in week out. He's, he's never done that in his Spurs career, delivered week in week out. But he has delivered to a high standard, and he, he's well below that at the moment. Having said that, quite a few of our players have dropped below the standard we've seen them reach, but they've they've reached high standards in a short space of time. You know, people like Deli Ali played so well last season; he's he's not reached that level this year. Eric Dyer's not been at the level he's been. I, I think I can see where the perception of, of the work rate issue comes from. Like you say, he does appear to uh, sometimes pull out of a tackle and. Uh, I, Glenn Hoddle made the point, didn't he, about signing a lot of players to new long-term contracts. They might have taken their their foot off the gas. I, personally, I haven't seen a I haven't seen a lack of effort myself from Tottenham players this season. I've heard a lot of 
fans say that. Um, I can only give my my opinion. I, I don't see a lack of effort. I do see players who have dipped below the high standards they've set. Um, Ericsson's got a long way to go to make it into into that bracket if he's ever going to someone who can someone like Coutinho who plays so well every week. Um, but he's, he's still a, he's still a very good player. He's still done more more good than harm in, in the time that he's been at Tottenham. And I, you know, I, I wouldn't personally get on his back too much. I hope that he can come through what is a, what is a dip in form um, and rise to the higher standards that he has set. Who starts at the minute? Because I think we've got Wanyama and Dembele guaranteed. Ali or Eriksen? Who plays in that? Who plays in that role in front? Well, isn't the, isn't the three Ali Eriksen and then one of Sissoko, Son, Lamella, and I don't think Wanyama's a definite either. I still Why don't not? think I would put Dyer there. I thought just touching on Wanyama, I thought mm. again yesterday he had a great game. He did. It, I just it, he, I've, I've got the feeling that there's something he's going to red card it or he's going to. He's, he's, he's not had a bad game. I he's mean, he wasn't great against Leverkusen. Was he playing against Leverkusen? Not just all the players were bad. Well, against everyone Leverkusen. was bad against Leverkusen, so he has so. had the bad game. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Um, the last thing I want to talk about in that game is Kane and Janssen. So obviously Kane's been out for, was it about six weeks? He come back, he was quality. Very A bit good. rusty in probably the first 20 minutes. Yeah. Just yeah. slightly off it. Had that chance the first half when he had yeah, and head away. Head of, yeah, that was good. Very unlucky. Very unlucky. And I mean, I think we were all sort of expecting him to be rusty. For, I wasn't really expecting him to do much, but it was just sort of his name on the team sheet lifted everyone. Whenever, when I saw that he was starting, I was thinking, my God, we've got a chance. Um, I thought he had a great game. And then he came off 70 minutes, Janssen came on. Um, and for the first time, I really sort of saw the gap in quality between the two. I like Janssen, and I think yeah. he's going to be a good, a really useful squad player for us. Um, I've defended him a lot in the recent weeks, but seeing him come on, and then all of a sudden the ball kept coming back, kept coming back, we couldn't hold it. For me, that was the first time I've really sort of seen the gap in quality between the two. My only defence for Janssen yesterday is that it's very difficult to come on after 70-odd minutes and get yourself adjusted to the yep. pace of the game. That, that's it, really. <laughs> that's, my, that's my only... That's my only... Like, on yeah. <laughs> um, what, do, what do you guys think? Well, I think the quality is... There is a huge gap in quality, but there's not many strikers we're going to find... We're going to sit on the bench for most of the season and then come on. And, you know, when Janssen does come on, he's like a newborn, what's a newborn horse just mm. running around. A lot of effort, but he keeps on stumbling around. It's, you know, the thing we always see, he does, he, he's always trying. He's always putting in yeah. his effort. As long as he does that, you know, he's going to score eventually. I mean, when he was in the Dutch League last season, it was November around this time until he started scoring he ended up being one of the I top say, I didn't know that and he ended up being one of the top goal scorers in this so you know maybe it's just him getting into a matter of time maybe mm. ok cool um, we also had something in on the Facebook page from Sam Diggins and I, I love this question so if you could guarantee one win at home and one away against two different opposition who would you choose so he picked Woolwich at home and West Ham away Chris, starting with you? Yeah, I'd go with Woolwich at home, definitely. And I'd go with Chelsea away because it is still this incredible statistic that we haven't won there since February 1990. And yeah. Gary Lineker scoring the, mm. the winner there and that. As someone who's worked uh, at the BBC for a very long time, and one of my former jobs was doing the research and the stats, the, uh, the amount of times I've had to dig that stat out, I'm, I'm fed up of it. And, yeah. and when I was growing up watching Tottenham, before the Chelsea revolution in, in the 90s, it didn't matter how well we were playing or how badly Chelsea were playing. They would always beat us. We could go into that game in great form. And Chelsea would just always beat us. And I've seen us lose to Chelsea so many times. I would love to be at Stamford Bridge and see Tottenham win. Um, and I, I hope that we can uh, beat Arsenal at home this season. So that, that would be my pick for this season. Good answers, Hannick. Yeah, so if, it, if it's just for this season, I would agree with Chris. That, you know, just one to win the Arsenal game at home and beat Chelsea away Chelsea away the slightly different reason is that I've got a very good friend who is a Chelsea fan I just really <laughs> want to rub it into yeah. that's fair um, I think mine Arsenal at home definitely I'll probably say Man United away what, it's very rare that I've seen us win at Old Trafford and I don't think that feeling of us winning at Man U ever gets old so I'd probably go Arsenal home Man United away go on. 
Uh, I'm I'm with Chris, I think, away at Chelsea and then at home to the Arsenal. But oh, there is a bit of me that at home to Chelsea and West Ham as well. I it's very difficult to pick because like, there's so much joy when we beat those. But like, we don't need to guarantee against West Ham because we can do it without some, some of this magic. So. If we're talking not this season, if not talking this season, but in general, Arsenal away. Arsenal away. Oh, I'll tell you what, away Arsenal against away. Barcelona. If you're telling me we're going to have that, <laughs> I'll have that in at home to Real Madrid. Right, no <laughs> Arsenal uh, away. Before we go into the quiz, I'm going to jump in here. Uh, the blurb on your, the back of your book, Chris, I love for the lane, mm-hmm. says, um, of the hundreds of stadiums you've been privileged to visit, we'll mm-hmm. talk about that, none has stirred greater emotion in the White Hart Lane where history and tradition emanates through the noise of the Shell side, the Park Lane and the Paxton mm. missing the West End. <laughs> yeah. oh, which is absolutely fair. But uh, quickly, top stadiums and w- which ones are on the, uh, the bucket list? Which ones are still oh, to do? I'd love to go and see uh, Boca Juniors in uh, oh, yes. La Bombonera, isn't yeah. it? The, 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 the chocolate box, his nickname, I believe. Has anyone been there? I'd, no, love, no. To love, I'd absolutely love to do that. Um, I, I was lucky enough to go to the World Cup in, in Brazil and wow. go to the Maracanã. Wow. Um, but I'd love to go and see a club game. Of, of I've seen some um, Brazilian league games, actually, but the attendances have been fairly low. Um, I'd love to go and see a huge derby in Brazil or South America. That's, Amazing, that's yeah. still an ambition of mine. Oh, I love it. Quiz time. Quiz time. Do you want to kick us off? Um, the yellow speak one? loudly. Against which club did Timothy Atuba score his full Premiership debut for Tottenham Hotspur in 2004 Watford. Score? Yeah. I was going to say, is it New- Newcastle? Newcastle away, yeah, wasn't it? Newcastle. 1-0 one yeah, was a screamer as well he eight. cut in didn't yeah. he he cut in outside the, outside the box cut in and he looked as shocked as anyone in the stadium <laughs> when he went in I remember um, Chris do you want to go ok do I pick any of these go for the yellow one yellow one, one. ok yellow. which former player and manager is said to be involved in the design of Tottenham Hotspur's club shield but not a brown I don't know brown no do you want a clue yeah, he was manager when we won our first league title in 1951. It was Arthur Rowe. Arthur Rowe. Sometimes worse when you get a clue. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it yeah. you push yeah. on the spot and yeah. you know, clam up. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to happen to a few of us throughout this quiz. Hmm. Up until well, silly question. Up until the end of the 2005-2006 season, who was the chairman of Spurs? Sugar. What is the no, it wasn't. Daniel Levy. 2005-6 season. Yeah. Daniel Levy. Yeah. Oh, oh. Come on, guys! All right. Oh, his son was in the away end. In the, home, that, in the yeah. away end yesterday. That was good. Read, sorry, we'll read that question again. Up until the end of the 2005-2006 season, which is when this quiz was made, oh, okay. who, <laughs> yeah. who was a chairman of Tottenham Hotspur? Yeah. What is the longest run of games between Tottenham Hotspur and Arsenal without a goal being scored by either team? Sorry, I wasn't. I was still trying to figure. Uh, What's the longest run of games between Tottenham Hotspur and Arsenal without a goal being scored by the team? Three. So we have four between oh, April four. 1977 and December 1979. And I now understand the previous question because that's when the quiz was made. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I was thinking, what? He went away on a, on a year's holiday and came yeah. back. No. Uh, in what year did Spurs win the league and FA Cup? Double sixty-one. 61 and this is if you get this fair play they were the first club to achieve this feat since who and who it's Preston and Aston Villa it's in the book it's in the book we watch model our kid after Preston then isn't it Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, very good. Very Lily good. White kit because they were so impressed with the Preston Invincibles as they were by going through their season undefeated in the eighteen uh, nineties, late eighteen eighties, eighteen eighty eight, I think it was. Right, shall I do the next question? Yes. In what year did Stuart Nethercott make his Tottenham Hotspur League debut? I will say nineteen ninety three. Oh, I was going to say ninety three as well. Ninety two. It's 93. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Next one. Uh, Name the Tottenham Hotspur manager who led his former team from the third division of their league to the first division between 1991 and 1995. So, overseas, that's why it says third division of their league. Um, Is it Aussie? No, more recent than that. Did a good job for us. Popular with our fans. Many of our fans kind of started the, the revolution towards what we are now, I would say, in the mid 
middle of the last decade. He's got no hair, but we don't care. Martin Yol. Martin Martin Yol. Martin In the Dutch league. Yeah, I, I guess that's what I mean. From the third division of their league yeah. to the first division between 1991 and 1995. Against which London club was Ozzy Ardiles' last match as Spurs manager? Chelsea. QPR. West Ham. West Ham it was. Three one. It's from my favourite season. I remember being there. Oh really? Yeah, Klinsman, Barmy, and Sheringham all scored, and we won three one. And he and he he was sacked two days later. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Well, they'd been on a terrible run. In oh. fact, he was kind of probably sacked pretty much before the game. Oh, Sugar right. had already made up his mind that he was going to go whatever happened, and he was he was kind of given one more game to say mm. goodbye. Really. No, oh, I see. Uh, Against which club did Jermaine Defoe make his Tottenham Hotspur debut? What debut? Oh, what, which club? His first, his first debut. Was it Charlton? No. Leicester? No. Bolton? Norwich? No. I'll give you a big clue. We also play for him. Portsmouth? Portsmouth. He's One made more. his second debut against Wigan oh, in a 1 0 away loss because I was there. Good knowledge. Brilliant. It was. One more out. Come on. Um, in what year did Andy Booth join Spurs? Oh, 99. 2000. What, what, what one? Which one? Yeah. Uh, 99. No. I think 2000. He came on loan, didn't he? In the, Wednesday, in the right? January of that year. And advanced on 2000? 2001. 2001. 1996. Oh, oh, what? Really? That's ridiculous. I mean, it might not be. This card <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> throws up a few. <laughs> Go on, anyone. I'll check. Do one more. Another round? One more. All right. Um, which Dutch club did Tottenham Hotspur defeat in the European Cup second round? In the 1961-62 season. Second round. Guess at Feyenoord. Yeah, that's yeah, correct. No, yeah. Okay, uh, this is a this is a ridiculously easy compared to what we have been asked. Which club would be defeated by Tottenham Hotspur at Vicarage Road Stadium? What are you looking at me for? Well, Watford, yeah. Watford. yeah. I like the way it says which club would be defeated. It doesn't even <laughs> offer the option that Watford can win or even get a point. They will so, definitely be defeated. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, Andy Booth joined in 2001 on loan. I was going to say 1996 seems far he, too He definitely got the right in, answer. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> Wouldn't put it past yeah. <laughs> Um. Good question here. What... What football event occurred in 1877 that would make the game easier to control? Referees were introduced. <laughs> no. Whistles. 1877. Um. It would make the game easier to control. Flags. The, 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 the rules? I don't know. The rules. <laughs> <laughs> um, the associations in Great Britain formed to gain a uniform code. Oh, right, yeah, they brought the rules together as such. That's the year they brought <laughs> So I got it right, really. Not yeah, really. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't Final question. Which trophy is taller, the FA Cup or the World Cup? And points, if you can tell me how, how tall they are in centimetres. A World Cup. Is not the answer. FA Cup. <laughs> <laughs> Any guess as to how tall the FA, the Cup, FA Cup is? In centimetres? That big? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 74 centimetres. 48 centimetres. Wow. The World Cup's only 36. Wow. That's, that's yeah. small, isn't it? Wouldn't fall that. Um... That's I've got it. one more, I've got one more. I haven't, I haven't been yet, my last question. All right, all right. Against which club did Glenn Hoddle make his full Tottenham Hotspur debut? Swindon. He's always Swindon with Hoddle. <laughs> you should know this, because we did this, didn't we, the other week when my dad was here. Yeah? Pre- Preston. Any guesses? <laughs> Preston. Stoke City. Any more? Any more from any more? I feel like I want to go back to Ericsson, but I'm not going to. No, I'll leave that. Um, International break next, is it? International oh, break yeah. next. We, we are going to pod. We're going to pod next week. week. So right. let us know what you want us to talk about. Yeah, if that's anything. Yeah, we've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris, thank you very much. And a final word. I love for the lane. Get on Amazon now. Featuring stories by Terry Dyson, Alan Mullery, Mickey Hazard, Darren Anderton, Gus Poirier, Harry Redknapp and many, many more. Good Christmas present. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's been good fun. Um, It's it's on me. So uh, even with Sissoko on our our squad list, whatever happens, don't forget the future's bright. The future's lily white. Come on, you Spurs.
stop free kick at Wembley Aussie's knees have gone all trembly And the team requires assembly Danny Montauer Local boy Ledley King Greavesy scoring everything Glenn Hoddle, Chrissy Waddle Lee Young-Kyo Casey Keller, USA Woodgate is not fit to play Ramatini, Kudachini Freddie Canute Gary Mabbitt in Chilin Sergi Rebra for the win Run for me, Nick on me, 4-3 Stout Terry Heroes in white and blue We've all loved you since 1882 Even when I'm feeling grey Despite the tears and pain I go to White Hart Lane Lineker playing fair Modric here, there, everywhere Pat Jennings, luscious hair Super Vertonghen Aliyachenko, number nine Nine from the halfway line Villa's running 81 Under Twin Towers Daniel Levy's transfer steals Harry Redknapp steals on wheels Legend Steve Perryman, MBE Hugo Loris, clean sheet Ball at Stefan Dalmatti I'm playing out white on lane Nicola Bertie Heroes in white and blue This one's for Billy Nick His football did the trick He showed the world what Spurs could do The League and Cup we won in 1961 Aaron Lennon's line green shoes Gareth Bailey used to lose Alan Hutton we all knew his passport said to Spain Berbatov turn and strop Hartsey saving from the spot Beat Chelsea at Wembley we lifted the League Cup Maradona is a spur We're the football connoisseurs Chaz and Dave's Cockney raves Chirpy the cockerel Mendes shoots from halfway Carol Pumbling the same Clattenburg Doesn't give the goal Mabizela's work of art Tricky Rafa van der Vaart He's got no head We don't care Martin Martin Yo Lily White's from White Hart Lane Red so Ziegler Sounded just like Ziegler Getting to the grounds of pain Getting nasty blisters down the Seven Sisters Teddy and to equalise Ginger Pele in disguise People speak of the technique that Jason Dozel at Jamie Redknapp on TV We love Alan Mullery Raziak, don't come back Andersimovic Crenshaw substitution Tom Hardliston's distribution Jermaine Defoe, he's Cisco He's linguistic skills Scott Parker could not try harder Danny Rose is 30 yarder Darren Bent's headed wide Sandra could have scored that Heroes in blue and white We sold Zakora and we dropped Zamora Spurs make my dark days bright But it makes me sad The Steger was so bad Robbie Keane In the box Edgar Davids Dreadlocks Palacios Stripey Socks Everson Hattrick Dave Mackay picking fights European glory nights Terry Dyson go on my son Cliff Jones on the wing Dean Richards, John White Legendary Lily White How dare I forget Who dare is to do Clive Allen, Paul Allen, Joe Allen, Les Allen, Rory Allen, Russell Allen, Alan Gilsey. Lily White from White Hart Lane, Kazuyuki the Bentley's free kick over, we treat Judas with disdain. His transfer was a farce, so shove him up your arse. And Liam Walker's page three go, Gus Poirier free kick club. Gomez made super saves, he can shake my wife. Edrington loved the bookies, Andy Reid loved the cookies. Star Wars music and some Wookiees right before the game. Heroes in blue and white, when I feel depressed, in got Ginola undressed. Point won't give up the fight. Fox never quits, you can be sure of it Robinson's long shot AVB's deep squat David Howe's on the prowl in the FA Cup Andy Sinton's England call Michael Brown starts a brawl Peter Crouch, eight foot tall Jürgen Klinsmann's dive Arsene Wenger's dodgy vision Howard Webb's bad decision Raman Vega playing Sega Sandro's Kung Fu kick Eric Torsten looking swell Espen Barson Leonard and Smith and Shepard bound to score Give me more and more and more Heroes in white and blue We like to win style We've done it for a while It's better to rain playing high Than our football 
story girl, echo with glory, Lily Watts and White Hot Lane. If the budget allows, the anchor will be ours. Thanks, Dave Henson, 44. If he were here, we'd buy the boy a beer. Heroes in white and blue. This one's for Billy Nick, it's the who did the trick. He showed the world what's for us to do. The Lincoln Cup we won in 1961. Heroes in white and blue. We've all loved you since 1882. Even when I'm feeling grey. Despite the tears and pain, I go to White Hot Lane. Heroes in white and blue. We like to win in style, we've done it for a while.